You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. I just, uh, I am so excited for today. Um, I'm actually going to be pre- preaching from a place um, where I feel like the Lord has really been, been moving in my life and exposing a lot of uh, areas of brokenness. And, and pain and difficulties, but you know what? It's been really good. You know sometimes when it, when it feels good to hurt? Does no one know that? Is that just me? Because usually on the other side of hurt is what? Joy. Usually on the other side of pain is joy and life and hope. And so I'm just going to be preaching from that posture today, but I just absolutely love, I just love where we've been as a church. Last two weeks, Pastor Jordan has been preaching on hope and joy, because the reality is, we all know, we are called to a life of overflowing joy. Like, that is our call, that is our destiny. I start almost every sermon saying that, because that is what we are called to. We are called to a peace that surpasses all understanding. We are called to a joy that overflows. We are called to a hope, to abound in hope in every situation. You, you know what I'm saying? And so like for me, when I read the Bible and I, and I see that we are a people of overflowing joy and overflowing hope and abounding in peace and hope, like I just get so excited, but I also just get so deeply disturbed. Because if I'm honest, like I feel so many of my times, Jordan Sodeman helped me put language to this the other week. He said, I feel like sometimes in life we just can get so used to um, like suffering well and going after our brokenness and laying our lives down for Christ. And then we carry that season and we're in that season. But as soon as it gets hard, we take a vacation to joy. You know, we take a vacation to peace, and then we go back to suffering well, and we go back to digging deep, and we go back to saying, God, expose me, expose me, expose me, and then it gets a little bit hard and gets a little bit heavy, and we take a vacation to joy. But Jesus in John 15 says, abide in me. Remain in me. Stay in me each and every moment of your life. Allow me to prune you. Allow me to like to take all that bad fruit out of you. But I tell you these things so that your joy may overflow. And so that's, we aren't supposed to take vacations to joy. You know, we're not supposed to take vacations to peace. That is our inheritance. That is our now. And so whenever we're not living in that, we need to go, okay, Jesus, expose in me whatever you need to that's holding me back from living a life of overflowing joy, of overflowing peace. Amen? And I just, I I was in a prayer meeting this week. Um, I lead a Wednesday morning prayer meeting at NNU, and I was praying, and, and I was inviting Holy Spirit as comforter. And uh, I do this a lot. I say, Holy Spirit, will you come, and will you comfort me? And, uh, and that's awesome, and I love it, because the Holy Spirit is our comforter. But then he, I heard Jesus say to me, why do you never ask me to come and convict you? Why do you never ask the Holy Spirit to come and, as conviction? And I said, you know, I don't know. <laughs> He goes, well, start asking. Start asking for me to convict you. Start asking for me to expose. And he's like, AJ, you've gotten so afraid of me, like, opening up these deep, dark places in your heart. But I want you to know, like, what is on the other side of conviction? What is on? Jesus. 
Like, Jesus is on the other side, and so it is for the sake of joy, it is for the sake of hope and peace that surpasses all understanding that we say, Jesus, convict us. It's for the sake of joy and for the sake of knowing him more. We say, Jesus, convict us. And so I'm just like in this moment where I'm just saying, God, I don't want to be afraid of repentance. I don't want to be afraid of of, of asking you to convict me because if I ask you to convict me, then on the other side of that conviction is beholding the life of Jesus, which is the life of overflowing joy and peace. Amen? It fires me up. That's preaching good. But seriously, you know, it's like we can get so down and not ask God to convict us. And, you know, I think it's just really funny sometimes, like, when we start, like, repenting and confessing our sins. Like, it's, it's okay, like, that we cry and we get emotional. But, like, at the same time, it's like when we're repenting, we're saying no to our old life and we're turning on to, to like, living like Jesus, which is abundant life, you know, and sometimes I think we just stay in that, like, seriousness and that sadness too long, and it's like, no, we repent so we can keep moving forward, abounding in joy and hope, amen? But that being said, (laughs) the reality is a lot of times we don't live with overflowing joy. You know, I don't think the church were known as being a place of being the most joyful people in the entire world. If we were the most joyful people in the entire world, I guarantee you a heck of a lot more people would be in the church. Because joy, in my opinion, is the most attractive. It is the most attractive characteristic of a person besides love, is joy. Because I want to be around joyful people, right? No one wants to be around people who are cranky all the time. Everyone wants to be around joyful people. Why? Because it's attractive. But if people aren't, like, flooding into the church, I'd say it's probably because we're not that, that joyful. And so we need to ask ourselves the questions, why? God, what gets in the way of us living with an overflowing joy? And, and as I've been praying and in my own life, um, so we're going to be talking about a little bit difficult topic today, but what I've realized is that an entitlement mentality is the thing that robs us of joy very often. An entitlement mentality is the thing that robs us from a life of overflowing joy, abounding in hope, and a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we're going to jump into some scripture, but uh, you know, the Israelites are the poster boys for uh, like an entitled people in the Old Testament. You know, like they're the ones that just could not seem to figure it out how to submit and to surrender to God. (laughs) It's like over and over and over and over again, the Israelites disobeyed God and, and, and literally opposed him. And I, I would argue that it's because of their entitlement. It's because of their entitlement. And so if you don't know the story, essentially, the Israelites are in exile in Egypt. They are slaves. Like, they are bad, bad. They are slaves. They are the outcasts of society. They are worth nothing. They do whatever the Egyptians tell them to do. And the Egyptians were so ruthless, there was a time where they wiped out all the firstborn sons. Like, it was not good living. 
right? It was not good living. And so God, God uh, went to the, uh, Moses and he said, hey, I want you to deliver my people from Egypt and to head into the promised land. And so Moses goes, he delivers the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He leads them into the promised land with all these signs, miracles, wonder, wonders, all the most amazing things in the entire world. God literally came in, used Moses, used Aaron to deliver his people out of Egypt to head into the promised land. Amen? And so, as they're on their way out of the promised land, out of Egypt, they're heading to the promised land. And as they're on their way to the promised land, God is providing food for them each and every day by allowing manna to fall from the sky. Right? Crazy. Like, literally, he is providing food by manna falling out of the sky. There, he's providing water by hitting rocks and all this crazy stuff. And God is providing for them. He is leading them into the land flowing with milk and honey. For the first time in their lives, the people of Israel are not in bondage. They are in freedom, walking to the land that is their inheritance. <laughs> the promise of Abraham, the promise of Moses, it is about to happen. They're on their way. And as they're on their way, God is providing for them food from heaven, manna, water, fire, clouds, crazy super, supernatural miracles, right? Like, are you kidding me? Split the Red Sea, all this crazy stuff. The most ruthless rulers ever, and yet these, like, little slave people were able to, like, escape from Egypt because their big giant God was fighting for them in Numbers 11 4 through 6 on their way to the promised land it says the rabble with them began to crave other food and again the Israelites started wailing and said if only we had meat to eat we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, except your slavery. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And a couple verses later, it says, the Lord grew angry. The Lord grew angry. And it is he grew angry because their entitlement mentality was deeply exposed. These people are on their way to the promised land, but because they felt entitled to a certain kind of Mediterranean cuisine... They started saying, we wish we were back in Egypt. They said, we wish we were back in Egypt at no cost. Really, no cost? You were slaves. You were slaves. And now you're walking for the first time in your life as a free man and a free woman heading to the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And it's not like they didn't know the promise. That's where they were going. They knew that they were heading to the promised land. Yet they started complaining because they wanted a certain, they felt entitled to a certain kind of cuisine. And they said, we remember and we wish we were back in Egypt. We wish we were enslaved. 
And there are so many things we can take from this, but what we can see is that they literally were not able to experience and enjoy their freedom because they were still enslaved to Egypt, even though they were walking to the promised land. You see, because they felt entitled to a certain kind of diet, they literally were still captive and weren't able to experience the promise that God had for them. Not only were they not content, right? Paul tells us and that we are supposed to be content in every season of our life. In every season of our life, we are to be content. We are to be thankful. We are to be gracious. And I think that's obvious. When we have God as provider in our life, we must be a thankful people and be grateful and content in every season. So, like, let's just even ignore that. They're, they're clearly not being content, like, at all because of their entitlement. But more so, they were still submitted and surrendered to the reign of Egypt. You see, when we adopt an entitlement mentality, we surrender to the entity that will provide our entitlements. When we have an entitlement mentality, we surrender to the entity that will give us our entitlements. That's why you can't experience any hope, any joy, any peace. Because often in life, what do we do? An entitlement mentality goes like this. The Israelites, perfect example. They wanted a certain kind of food, and so they were going to go and be enslaved and submit to whatever would give them what they so desired. We will go to the church that makes us feel fed. We will serve in the ministry that gives us the platform. We will go to the relationships that make us feel better about ourselves. This happens all the time. We surrender and submit to the things that we are entitled to. And this is why sin is so rampant in our lives. And this is why we are not experiencing any hope and joy because they are on their way to the promised land. But they were so me-centric, they were so me-focused that they could not experience their freedom because they were not surrendered to God. They were not submitted to him. We live in such an instant gratification culture that's almost built into our DNA these days to where we will go and we will submit to whatever makes us feel good. You know? And like, look, we're going to get happy, I promise. It's going to get a little, it's a little heavy at first, but the reality is what's on the other side, that's why I had a nice little preface in the beginning, you know? But, but this is real. You know, if, we're, if we can't, you can't overflow with joy when you are submitted or surrendered to anything but is God, but God. Like, you just can't. You just cannot experience. You can have moments. You can have moments of joy, vacations of joy, but you cannot overflow with joy. You cannot overflow with hope. You cannot have peace if you are surrendered to anything but God. You see, I also think that this <laughs> can be negative. If you have a view of yourself that you are worthy 
of the scum of the earth, you are going to surrender and submit yourself to what makes you feel like that. So if you are bound by shame, if you are bound by shame, what are you going to do? You're going to continually submit because you feel entitled to feel worse than you feel entitled to be the scum of the earth. So then what do you do? You just continually follow in sin patterns and submit to things that make you feel that way because that's what you feel worthy of. So we actually, we actually in our lives submit to whatever we feel we are worthy of. And that's how come we have addiction running rampant. That's how come we have <laughs> ministries that, that can never, like, actually sustain and church splits and all these things that happen. Because really, at the end of the day, a lot of the times, our self-centeredness gets in the way of us submitting to the will of God. And you know what happens? You wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I believe that, that entitlement can manifest in, in two ways. I call it in two different mentalities. I call me, it's the gimme, 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 feed me, feed me, feed me mentality. Gimme, 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 feed me, feed me, feed me. This is, the, this is the mentality of the Israelites. It is a mentality that takes zero personal responsibility at all. It's, I feel like I deserve this just because I feel like I deserve this. And you don't work, you don't do anything hard, right? It's like, oh, there's no spots open on the prayer team. I don't want to be on the prayer ministry. That's the only thing that I feel like I'm I'm worthy of, and so I'm not going to be an usher. I'm I'm not going to be on the set-up teardown team. I'm just going to go to wherever is going to give me the platform and make me feel like I am worthy of whatever. Does that make sense? So the gimme, 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 feed me, feed me, feed me mentality is marked by laziness. It is marked by laziness and a complaining spirit. It says, I deserve this, but I won't do anything to steward it. Again, it goes back to the church that fits my needs, the serving opportunity that gives me the platform, the relationships where the other people do everything for me. I know I have relationships that can be like that, right? You can feel it. You know it. You can taste it. When someone is just taking, 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 taking all the time from you. The other um, way the entitlement mentality comes about and manifests is in performance and striving. Some guy, I forgot to write his name. I want to give him credit. So whoever you are on the internet, I'm giving you credit. He's some famous Christian author. If you for some reason are listening to this sermon, great quote. It says entitlement gives way to law, and then law gives way to grace. The self-absorbed person finally comes face to face with the reality that he is not God, nor is he as grandiose and bulletproof as he thought he was. This truth brings a lot of pain, so then he moves to another tactic. He tries to be very, very good and do things very, very well. He wants to show that he can earn his way out of his failings, but ultimately this tactic fails also, as all of our own works do. 
I'm going to get honest and vulnerable and share like a really embarrassing story. But I have been the person of the gimme, 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 feed me, feed me, feed me. I've been that person before in my life. But I got rid of that. I was like, okay, I'm really not that great at all. This was happening because I was the hero of my family. And so when you're the hero of your family, you start feeling entitled, you know. And so I did. And for so long, I started in ministry. And right when I got into ministry, I became, uh, I thought I was going to be some big preacher, 19 years old. <laughs> that was crazy. And what they do, they, they put me straight into being like the trash boy. And so I became the trash boy, and I just would complain all the time. I would complain all the time, all the time. I'm so much better than this. Have you seen how I suffered well for my family? Ah! Right? Stupid. God convicted me. I'm like, okay, that's dumb. I'm not going to do that anymore. Then, here I am at the now gathering. <laughs> Seven years later from when that first happened. I've been essentially in the same role in ministry ever since I started seven years ago. Trash boy at the end of church. You know, taking out the trash. And I believe God has been doing that in me to try and teach me something. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not going to be entitled anymore. I'm just going to suffer well. I'm going to do this job that maybe I don't like to do this part of my job. I don't like cleaning up. I don't like organizing. I don't like doing that kind of stuff. But you know what? I'm going to do it. And for the last seven years, I've put my nose to the ground, and I've just grinded. And I've just said, all right, I'm going to take out the trash. I'm going to clean this. I'm going to do that. Da, 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 da. And that's what I've done. And I'm like, oh, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. So here we are at the now gathering. Everyone for the last five days of, or three days was just getting wrecked by the presence of God. I was getting wrecked. It was just joy and bliss and amazingness. And the last session comes, and here it is. It's time to clean up the whole place. So I stand up on stage, and I'm starting to get everyone organized to clean up the whole day for church the next day. And as I'm up here, I'm looking around, and I'm looking at a lot of my friends, and I'm looking at a lot of the people who aren't helping, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the same people who always help are helping, and some people aren't. And I just was up here, and this is the first time I've had this thought in seven years, and I was like, why the heck do I have to do this? Why the heck do I have to be the one after busting my butt for three days, why do I have to be the one cleaning up right now? And I didn't really think anything of it. I got in my car. As I'm driving home, I, hear, I heard the Lord say to me, AJ, you still don't get it. You still don't get it. I said, what don't I get? He said, I've had you in the same spot for the last seven, seven years, and the problem is still the same. At first, you thought you, weren't, you thought you were too good to do what you were doing. This last few years, what you've been doing, you've had the mentality of performance. If I just serve long enough, if I just keep taking out the trash and not complaining, if I just keep doing this, then then I will be able to get the platform, the da-da-da-da-da. Make sense? And so oftentimes those are the two ways that the entitlement mentality can, can come about in us. And I just remember hearing that. I just said, Jesus, please strip this from me. I do not want to feel entitled. I do not want to perform. And, and do I have that thought every weekend? Absolutely not. But in that moment, I did. So in that moment, I had to deal with it. And in that moment, I think we're not always entitled, but we can have pockets of entitlement. 
and it stole from my joy. We had three days of bliss, and my arrogant butt was up here saying like, oh, this sucks. After all these people just started encountering God like I've never seen before. Rob me of joy. Rob me of, rob me of encounter. Because how many of you know encounter doesn't just happen in worship. A lot of times it actually happens in those moments where we're submitting and laying down our lives and actually serving with everything, with the purity of heart. And I actually believe if I serve with the purity of heart, I would have encountered God in an even greater, more beautiful way because I would have taken on what he's like rather than who I am. Oh, I hate feeling like that. And I think the reality is, is entitlement is always rooted in fear. It's always rooted in fear. I had the fear that if I don't get up here, people won't think I'm good enough. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to grind, I'm going to grind, I'm going to grind, I'm going to grind until people see that I'm truly a servant. Because that's what people say is a good thing in the church. You see how ugly that is? You see how it's impossible for me to experience joy in those moments? Because I'm not doing it out of the purity of serving Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm doing it out of myself and my own attainment. So when we live with this entitlement rooted in our mindsets and hearts, we will inevitably always be let down. You know, when we live with entitlement, we will always be let down. We may have moments of joy, moments of happiness, but at the end of the day, I will fail me. And you will fail you. And the church will fail you. And your serving platform will fail you. And your job will fail you. Your, your, your relationships, your marriage, it, it, at some point it will fail you. And so if we keep finding ourselves in those moments, we need to say, God, expose it, expose it, expose it. Amen? Paul says, and this is, I was talking with Jordan. Um, he said it, he thought it would be really good for, for us to kind of close with this passage. It's what we started the joy series um, often. It's the Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 10, and I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. It says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, one united in love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. 
Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing him to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. Jesus is the only one worthy of entitlement. (laughs) He's entitled to whatever he wants. He's God. He's entitled to my surrendered life. He's entitled to all of our worship. He is literally entitled to all of creation bowing to him. Yet he, when he came to earth, surrendered and emptied himself of those entitlements so that he could experience joy on earth, so he could experience life as we would. He came as the perfect example, completely emptying himself of everything that he was worthy of and said, I'm going to put on the form of servanthood to show what it looks like to live a life surrendered to the will of God. It's crazy to me that Jesus emptied himself and he received grace. He received favor. Luke 2.42 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and the grace of God rested upon him. And the only, Jesus, God, hello, creator of heavens and the earth, had favor resting upon him just as me and you do because he so emptied himself and said, come, grace, rest upon me. Amen. So if we want to live a life of overflowing joy, we, 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 we must take the same posture. We, we have to. We have to rid ourselves of all of our pride. We have to get rid of it. We, have to, we, we are not worthy of anything. <laughs> like, like, like we are God's creation. And he, in his grace and in his mercy, looks at us and says, I choose you. I want you. Like, I choose you. He says that. That's the only thing that makes us worthy. And so we cannot be self-centered. We need to rid ourselves of all pride. We need to rid ourselves of self-promotion. We need to rid ourselves of all of it so that we can experience the holiness of God, so that we can experience a life of joy. Like if we don't do this, we will not be an attractive church. We will not be a church that is actually going to see the kingdom of God work if we do not rid ourselves of pride completely. Because... Me and you being a people marked by joy is the only thing, but the only way that's possible is if we get rid of all of the self within us. Everything that we're entitled to, we need to get rid of it. And so pride is always, pride and fear, fear is the root of pride and pride is the root of entitlement. And and, and entitlement manifests like this. It manifests in self-promotion, envy, comparison, and lack of commitment. If you have a hard time committing to anything, it's probably because you think you're too good for it. 
Like, like, honestly, I know that's really blunt and that's hard, but, like, someone had to call me out the other day. I didn't get back to them on their text message. They've asked me a lot of times, and they said, dude, it clearly shows that you don't care about me because you haven't gotten back to me on your text. And I was like, you know what? You're right. That's what that communicates. And why didn't I communicate with him? Yeah, I was busy, but I still could have got back to him, but he wasn't important enough to me in that moment because I was more important for me. Does that make sense? And so if we have a lack of commitment, if we don't want to get involved in church, if we keep choosing different revival groups every other week, and if we keep bouncing around doing all this stuff and can't stay rooted somewhere, it's probably because there's entitlement in our heart. If we're tossed to and fro and a lone soldier, and here's the, if if you're complaining in this church that you don't have community, you know, have you tried? Because it takes two to tango. It takes two. For the sake of unity, love one another. Rid yourselves of all pride. Amen? It's such a, like, a serious, I, I started the sermon off like this, and I want to close it like this, because it's like, These moments, these sermons, like I've sat in so many of them and they they feel so heavy. But it's like I just, I was like getting so messed up in the Holy Spirit this morning and before service. Because like I just felt his joy and his love. Like uh, like, he has so much love for us that he wants us to get rid of our entitlements. Like he cares about us so much that he wants us to be like, "Uh, just give him to me. Just give him to me so you can get me. Like, he came as the perfect example so that we can have the joy of surrender. I remember the other week I was singing the song, I surrender, I surrender all. It's whatever you say, God. I was singing that, and I was, like, depressed singing it. I was like, oh, this sucks. I was like, I, was like, I do not want to surrender anything else. This is no. <laughs> and God was like, why are you so sad? Who do you get? Once you surrender, you get more of me. It's like the joy of surrender. It's the joy of yielding. It's the joy of saying, God, I feel I deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways because I know you have a promise, you have a future, you have a destiny for me that's so much greater than what I can even fathom. Amen? I'm just so happy. Like, seriously, it's like so good. It's like pride doesn't need to be heavy. (laughs) How good is that? Pride's always heavy. It doesn't need to be. We get to give him our pride and watch him turn our broken mess into glory and beauty. The way we can get rid of our pride, man, like practically, is by serving others. It's like by literally just serving others, not for your own interests, but for the interest of them. And this is what I did for so long. I served for the interest of AJ. I'm not going <laughs> to, you're not going to experience abundant life that way. That's not serving. That's called selfish, just being really dumb. Not only are you being selfish, but you're so being selfish and you're like choosing to serve people in your selfishness. Like that's just weird. It's like if you're going to be selfish, like just keep all your money or something. 
don't spend it serving. <laughs> you realize how dumb entitlement is? It's so stupid. So we serve for the sake of others. And as we serve for the sake of others, entitlement will die in us, unity will happen, and then we will experience joy. Paul says in Philippians that it's for, if the unity amongst the believers is what gives him unbounded joy. Amen? You know, this life isn't easy. (laughs) It's hard. We can all say that. Amen? Like, this life is not easy. But if we choose to lay down our lives for the sake of others, if we choose to lay down our entitlements and we choose to go low and we choose to take the posture of Jesus, we will have a joy overflowing. We will have a hope that lasts. We will have peace in every situation, in every moment, if we choose to go low for the one. If we choose to live like he lived on this earth, he gave himself completely up everything. He surrendered it all for the joy that was set before him. Amen. Okay, I think I'm done. Will you stand up? I'm going to invite the, uh, the band to come up. And we're actually going to, we're actually going to close with a song. I think they're coming up. Yep, they are. They're so great. But I really, like, as we are engaging in this song, like, I, I don't want, I mean, I'm all for crying and encountering God in that way. But I just felt so strong, like, so strong from Jesus that he's like, for the joy set before me, I laid down. So I just felt like, it's so funny, but I wrote in my notes, like, I want you to have a good attitude. <laughs> like, I want you to be happy. I want you to like joyfully come and repent. I want you to joyfully come and lay your life down. I want you, because of the joy set before you on the other side, come and offer yourself completely. This life is not hard. This life is hard. But when we get to lay our lives down for him, he gives us everything we need so that we can abound in every good work. We can have a hope that lasts for eternity. Amen? And so, Jesus, we just say, (laughs) convict us, God. We just say, convict us, Jesus. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, to come and convict us of any entitlements that we have. Come in your freedom. Make us free, God. Make us free, Jesus. Make us free, God. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.